Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here together. Uh, I just want you to know whether this is your very first time with us, whether you've been here for years. Uh, we say it all the time, and if you're with us for the past couple of years, you've heard us say it, but that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you walk into this room, that we pray for you, uh, that we are excited about God bringing each and every one of you here this morning. And we don't believe that any one of you are here by accident today, but that God has a specific reason for you here. And so we are going to dive into the book of Proverbs in a moment. We're gonna continue in Proverbs 1. Uh, if you'd like to get a jump start of finding it in your Bible, it's Proverbs 1, starting in verse 8. But as we do, um, I wanna share uh, something that, a, a game that I really wanted to have as a kid that I never had. Maybe some of you have had that, um, something you really wanted as a kid and just never were able to get. Uh, for me, it was like a board game that um, some of you may have heard of, some of you may not, uh, but it was this thing called Mousetrap. Oh, yay, okay. So Mousetrap, I never had it, but it was this idea of like, you know, you, you roll and you like try to like move along as a little mouse. You wanna set up other people, uh, other mice, if you will, like to have them be caught. And it's like a Rube Goldberg machine in the sense of, you know, you do one thing and then like the, the ball goes down here and then that activates this. But the whole idea is that like at the very end, like there's a trap that comes down and you're like, Mousetrap. And I looked it up and like the commercial was like in 1995. And so I remember being like 10, 11 years old and be like, this is what I want with my life. Now kids want like iPhones. It's like so boring, like mousetrap. Um, but I remember wanting this game like so much and um, because I just thought it was so cool, like the different ways that you can like, again, all the Rube Goldberg stuff. I just, I love that stuff. And then like the trap at the end and the boys like mousetrap every time. So I share that because that was something where the whole idea to get somebody else trapped, to avoid the trap yourself and to recognize that um, you know, that's how you win the game, is to set other people up to be trapped and to avoid it yourself. And we're talking about today, we're talking about this idea of, of a trap that maybe all of us can experience in one way or another, that we all have certain things that we desire greatly. Maybe there's something that are, that are good. Maybe there's something that are bad. There's these pressures that we put on ourselves, whether they're internal pressures that, that we put upon ourselves and that nobody else would see or nobody else would experience and that we would be our own worst enemies, but, or whether they're external pressures, the pressure to, to make ends meet, the pressure to fit in, the pressure to make sure that we have enough to keep up with the Joneses, the pressure to look like we have everything together, the pressure to portray a certain lifestyle on social media that uh, Stephen Furtick, a pastor in North Carolina, talks about when you look at social media, don't fall into the trap of comparing other people's highlight reels to your behind the scenes that they put their best foot forward and you see all your two left feet trying to dance like it's just this idea of recognizing we need to be careful of those traps but this idea is that pressure is something that doesn't we talk about peer pressure I should say we talk about peer pressure and if I say those two words you will probably think of you know a middle schooler or a high schooler needing to avoid temptation and getting in the wrong crowd that is absolutely a, an example of peer pressure, absolutely. But pressure, whether peer pressure externally or internal pressure, does not end when we grow up, right? Like we still face pressures all the time, either internal from the inside pushing us out, external squeezing us in, and it can feel like we're in a room, that the walls are closing in, and we cannot escape. It can feel like we are playing the game of life, not the actual game of life, another game I didn't know, and it's fine, um, but we're playing the game of life, and it feels like that if we're not careful, 
The trap will be sprung upon us. We try to get other people entrapped, but we are the ones that end up facing the ramifications of it. And so today, we're going to talk about some of this idea of pressure. And, and A.B. Simpson uh, t- talks about the idea that we have different pressures and desires or idols that entice us. And entice us is a very specific term that we're going to be using throughout the book of Proverbs, or sorry, Proverbs 1 today, because we're going to see through these 11 verses together that the verbiage that is used is one of a trap that is being set, that someone is enticed, they are lured into something, and then they're trying to be attacked or trapped. And if we're not careful, while we try to trap others, we are the ones that are going to have the trap ahead of us or fall upon us. And it's not going to be funny when someone yells mouse trap at the end of it. See, he says, A.B. Simpson says, as long as you want anything very much, especially more than you want God, it's an idol. Idols aren't statues that, that people worshiped back in the day. If we were to have a, a statue or an idol nowadays, it would be something like just popularity or possessions or the American dream or being able to just perform really well and be known for that. I mean, we have other idols, other things that we really want. And maybe it's not even sinister things, but maybe it's things that if we want them so much that then the idol that we are pursuing becomes greater than our pursuit for the Lord, then that is when it becomes dangerous. That sin is often taking a legitimate desire and trying to fulfill it in an illegitimate way. And so being able to recognize that we need to question whether we know how we are enticed. Do we know those pressures, those idols, those desires that can entice us, that if we're not careful, we could walk into a trap and have a trap spring upon us? And if we know what they are, do we then know the different ways in which we can avoid that trap so that we are not caught And so that instead, we're not even playing that game anymore about trying to trap others. We're trying to live free of that altogether. Our main point today, if you follow along in your notes, if you're a note taker, says this, if we don't learn how to pray through harmful pressures, we will become the prey to those harmful pressures. And we're using this enticing language, this prey language, this trap language, because that's what this passage shows us about the dangers of giving into pressure, external and internal to the detriment of our integrity, our character, and our walk with the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you're with us right now. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that is here in this room and each person that is listening online later. Lord, no no one who hears my voice has been created by accident. Everyone who hears my voice needs to know that you are with us and you fight the battle for us. And everyone who hears my voice has, is facing multiple types of pressures right now, Lord. And so in the midst of that, may we pray through those pressures rather than becoming prey to those pressures. And I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. And the kind of the introduction to this is in verses 8 and 9. See, verse 7, which is where we ended last week, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And then right after that, verse eight, this is what Solomon says. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. He's saying, here's how wisdom is. Wisdom is seeing life through God's eyes and foolishness is seeing the life through your own eyes. And so he's saying, listen, listen to your parents' instruction. Listen to the teaching so that, verse nine, um, they are uh, those teachings are a garland of grace on your head to your, sorry, a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. He's saying, listen, these are great things. These are beautiful things. These are valuable things. The wisdom is important. We see in other parts of Proverbs that wisdom is far more precious than rubies. And we look at this idea that if if all else get wisdom, I think it's in Proverbs eight when it's like if you go for here's the point of wisdom, get wisdom. And so we look at this idea of saying, okay, Solomon is setting this up. He's saying, listen, I just talked about it. Here's what you need to know. See, growing up, when we are in that stage where maybe peer pressure first becomes more prevalent, the reason, or one reason it does, is because now we're starting to think, are the things that our parents told us growing up really the things that we need to live our lives in that way? And so then we stop giving all of our, um, we stop giving credence and credibility to what our parents say And then we start giving credence and credibility to what our friends say, what our peers say. So then their words, what they say, if we're not careful, become more important to us. But we see here that in Proverbs 15.5, it talks about how a fool spurns a parent's discipline and whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Deuteronomy 5.16 talks about, it's one of Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20 are the two passages that talk about the Ten Commandments. And if you know, um, if you've heard about the Ten Commandments, there are several, obviously, well, there's 10 of them. I don't know if you guys knew. Um, sorry, uh, lost my train of thought. There are 10 commandments, but the first commandment that they say that comes with the promise is the commandment of honoring your father and mother. Why? For Deuteronomy 5.16 says this way, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So parents, Make sure that you're not exasperating your kids like Ephesians 6 talks about. Just make sure that you are loving them and leading them to the Lord, that you're praying for them and being an example to them. And kids, students, make sure that you're listening, not because your parents are trying to be killjoys, but they're trying to point you to everlasting joy, not the one that's a temporary excitement. Because God says, if you do this, it will go well with you. Not that we won't have hiccups and bumps on the road, But the road with God is a far greater road than any multiple roads apart from him. So they start this off. Listen. Listen to the instruction. It's like a garland to grace your neck and grace your head and a neck, a chain to adorn your neck. But then here's what we want to talk about. Here's where the language of trap, pray, caught, here's where the language starts to focus for us to say we're either going to become praying through these pressures or become prey to them. So the trap is set. We see this starting in verse 10. My son, if sinful men entice you, see there's that word again. It's like a lure going fishing. It's like bait when there's a trap that's being set. If they entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. They're talking about, let's do this together. Let's, the trap is set, and here's where we need to be careful. In your notes, the trap is set when that pressure to fit in causes us to give in. 
when the pressure to fit in causes us to give in, that as the father is trying to speak to his son, don't fall into that, he knows that that's gonna happen that time in our lives where the words of parents will end up having less credence and credibility than the words of the peers around them. And so he's saying, listen, son, when your peers, when your people that say they're your friends, say, hey, let's do this, this together. Let, let's come together, let's do this, let's, let's harm this person, let's lay out a plan to, to make sure that they're the ones that are caught in the mousetrap and will enjoy all the bounty of it. When they do that, do not go with them. Do not listen. But the problem is, is that the pressure to fit in is a pressure that causes us to do things that we never thought we would do. It causes us to give in give in against our faith, give in against our integrity, to give in and do things we never would have envisioned we would have done. And so this internal pressure, the pressure to fit in, that we talk about how, um, if you look at Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and talks about how there's basic needs that we all need to experience and it goes up in various stages. And some of them are like food and security. The third one is this need of belonging. And it's like the idea is once you have food insecurity or once you have basic needs met, we need to know that we are known. We need to be known and to belong somewhere. And so what ends up happening, and above that is when you look at wisdom and doing the right thing. So people, all of us, we will fall into, if there's a group that's saying, hey, let's do these things. If our pressure to fit in is great, so great it causes us to give in, then what that means is that we would be willing to sacrifice the right thing so that we could be around people and to be known and to feel like we belong. When I was a freshman, I believe it was, in high school, um, we were going to go see a movie uh, at, a, at um, one of the movie theaters in San Jose. And I remember I went with a couple friends. I don't even remember who the friends are because that wasn't the part of the story that jumped out. The part of the story that jumped out is as we were walking into the theater, they had just received some of their, um, like their equipment, their, their, uh, their different uh, resources and goods and stuff. And so right there on the way into the theater, there was a box that had uh, Coca-Cola on the side of it. And it was like the syrup that they put into the soda machine that they plug it in. And then after, you know, then that's all, if it goes through the um, machine and they get dispenses and gets Coca-Cola. And so my friends were like, you should take it. And I was like, you're right. And so I took it with me and we brought it into the theater and the, again, this makes no sense, right? These are bad decisions. But I took it in. One of my friends had like a little pocket knife. And so he opens up the side and then we just start eating like the syrup of Coca-Cola. Yeah, bad and ew. And so like you think to yourself, like in Proverbs uh, 9, when it talks about the wisdom, the voice of wisdom as a woman and the voice of folly as a woman. And it's like the, the folly says, listen, Stolen water is sweet. Let me tell you, stolen Coca-Cola syrup is like too sweet, right? And it's not good. It's just blah, blah, blah. And so we, we have that. We ste I'm, I'm stealing from this place. And then not a few minutes later, we see, you know, an usher comes in, an employee comes in and says, you know, did you steal, did you steal that? And it's in front of me and I'm eating it. So I'm like, yes, I did. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, you need to leave. And understandably so, they kick me out, right? Well, what did I do? I thought, you know what? I'm walking, I'm like, that's, that's fine. Look how cool I am now. Like my friends are gonna think I'm so great. And like my street cred went from like a level one to like a one and a half. And it's gonna be really great. <laughs> and I felt that pressure to fit in and to be approved of by people. And yeah, stealing is, is obviously it's wrong. And using an example of, of talking about eating, like stealing syrup, like 
it, it's wrong, but it's not the worst thing I've ever done because of peer pressure. And I imagine if you were to think about different things that you've done or fallen into due to peer pressure, whether that was when you were in high school or middle school or college, or whether it's even now and the pressure of fellow employees that are encouraging you to cheat and to lie and to steal, whether it's the idea of the pressure to try to cheat on your tests and your classes in order to get better grades, in order to get better college. Like, well, I want to get a good education, but if we try to do that while sacrificing the right things now, what good is it? The pressure that we have to fit in can cause us to give in, and that's a trap that many of us can fall into. We, we see here that a violent person, Proverbs 16 says, a violent person entices, again, verse 10, entices, verse, this part here, entices. It's this very specific term. It talks about luring people into evil and into harm. He says, a violent person intense, uh, entices their neighbor and leads them down a path that is not good. We're going to hit specifically on that idea of the path in a, in a little bit and a few steps down in our notes, but this is what it reminds us is that D.A. Garrett, who's a, um, a theologian, says the steady repetition in this passage of we and us and the gang's appeal graphically portrays the peer pressure to which a young person or any person can be susceptible. We could say, hey, fit in. No one's doing things the right way. Do things the wrong way with us. I think, well, then it must not be bad. And our desire to fit in can cause us to give in. We continue on, verse 13 and 14. It says, we will get all sets of valuable, or sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. You know, this point shows us that the trap is also set, not just when we fit in and want to give in, but the trap is set when the pressure to get more plunder plunders our integrity. The desire to get more stuff. And you could take the example of trying to treat, cheat on college uh, exams or things like that, or high school exams to get better grades, to get a better college, to get into have a better career and to have more money. This downward slope to losing your integrity when you're 40 are some of the choices that we make when we're 14. And, and so we need to recognize that we need to decide now whatever age you are, that you're not going to think about the plunder and the, the great gifts and treasures you're going to get and allow that to cause you to plunder and to lose your integrity now. That we see Adam, or Adam and Andy Stanley talks about, a pastor in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, talks about how it can take years to build up your integrity and it can take moments to lose it. We see a similar idea when Jesus just says, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What, what kind of life is it to have all this stuff and miss out on the important stuff? To have all these things, but recognize that you've pushed away people around you, you've sacrificed your integrity, your witness now to others who don't know Jesus as a Christ follower, your witness is now weakened because now they say you're just like everyone else. You're not a light that's on a hill that can't be hidden or a light on a, you're not someone who's a city on a hill that can't be hidden. You're not a light that's lighting up the room. You're not someone who's shining like stars in this crooked and depraved generation. No, no, no. If we lose our integrity now, we lose our witness for later and then we then don't, we no longer are stars stars who shine in the crooked and depraved generation, we have become the crooked and depraved generation. 
And if we do that, then the victory that we've won and the battle about which we've sung gets lost. And we can convince ourselves, well, that's just the way everyone else is. Maybe the pressure to fit in causes us to give in. Or maybe we've realized that we're trying to get so much stuff. These idols, these desires, these things that we want very much, especially more than God, we allow those things to become so important to us. That plunder that we think we'll get coming out of that will end up plundering our integrity and we will lose that which is most valuable for eternity, for things that are not that valuable, temporality or temporarily. And it's something that's so easy. It's a trap that we can all fall into if we're not careful. Thomas Brooks says this idea this way. talks about greed and how we have that inside of us. He talks about how you may as soon fill a bag with wisdom, a chest with virtue, or a circle with a triangle as the heart of man with anything here below. In other words, nothing down here can truly satisfy. He says a man may have enough of the world to sink him, but he can never have enough to satisfy him. Another way of putting it is that God has given enough resources in this world to satisfy the entire world's need. Like there's enough food for everybody, enough resources for everybody. God wasn't lacking in his provision. The problem is that there's enough for the world's need, but not enough for the world's greed. And so we see here this idea of plundering our integrity means maybe we have this internal pressure to want more or this internal pressure to sin and to fall into that. And, and yesterday, um, we watched the 49ers game playing against the Vikings. And we are, I, it's very rare for me to actually be able to watch the game. And so uh, we're so happy to have Dan Goodham came over and we had like yummy food. And we're able to watch the game together. And I very rarely get to watch the game. Usually, we, you know, we don't have, uh, like Hulu has live sports. Like they didn't even pay me to say that. Uh, but like, I don't, we don't have that, right? So I just kind of follow along on my phone and like I'll refresh and like, oh look, someone scored or oh look, this is what happened. And, and so afterwards, what do I do? I end up watching the highlights of it. I went up, the highlights, they boil down a game into you know, four, three, four minutes of the highlights of the game. And so you only get to see the good parts. You don't see the times when your team messed up. You don't see the times when you know, they didn't convert a third down. You don't see the times when they muffed a punt. You don't see the times that they threw an intercept. I mean, whatever it is, you only see the highlights, the good parts for your team. A pastor, a senior, my previous senior pastor in my old church talked about this way. He said, when it comes to sin, we only see the highlights. We see the things that we think, look how great it would be. Listen, I might sacrifice my integrity, but look at all these good things I will have. And we convince ourselves that the highlights that we think sin will allow us to have, we think that that makes the sin worth partaking and it absolutely, unequivocally does not. Because guess what? Those are the things that we think are the highlights. One, there's a lot more that happen behind the scenes that are not highlights. The low lights of when you get caught in your sin. The relationships that are broken between you and friends and family. And most importantly, between God. The way that it affects you beyond what you think. But secondly, not just are the there are low lights we don't see, but the highlights aren't nearly as high as we think they would be. So we convince ourselves we're going to do this and it's going to be, you know, it's bad, but we're going to get great things out of it. But stolen water is not sweet. Stolen Coca-Cola syrup is way too sweet. And that delicious flavor of what I thought would be good was not nearly as good as it was worth my integrity. 
wasn't nearly as worth good as worth sacrificing that. So what does that look like for us? It means that the trap is set for each and every one of us. Do you know those things which entice you? And do you see the trap when it's laid out? Because this is what happens when the prey is caught. The trap is set and the prey is caught. The prey is caught when we choose to walk with those who don't walk with God. Let's dive into that for a moment. Verse 15 through 17. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. See, I mentioned earlier that we're going to talk about the verb or the, the um, terminology path. We're going to look here and we see this idea of the walking. Do not walk with them. Do not go along with them. Do not set your feet upon that path. They are swift to shed blood. This idea of when we walk with people who don't know God and we allow those, do, let me take a moment. Do we have relationship with people who don't know God? Absolutely. Should we isolate ourselves so that we don't know anyone and we, you know, we can't be around people who don't know Jesus? Absolutely not. But who are the people we call, who are the people on whom we most rely when trouble comes? If you were to write down your five to 10 most important people in your life, and you were to write down who they are and say, does this person love Jesus and live for Jesus or not? If 10 out of 10 of those people love Jesus, Oh, Craig Rochelle says it this way. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. If 10 out of 10 people love Jesus and, and it's something where they encourage you in, their walk, in your walk and come alongside you and carry your burdens, then even in your difficult times, you'll have people who will help you alongside on that path. If half of the people love Jesus and half don't, well, then that might be the idea of your faith might be half in and half out. You might come to church when it's comfortable and easy. You might look to advice and you hear godly advice and then you hear worldly advice and then you decide which one is better, thinking that we should be the deciders of that rather than God's word being an objective source rather than our subjective one. And we start to say, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll compromise and I'll have one foot in our faith and one foot in the world and think I can walk this way. But Paul talks about 2 Corinthians, that what harmony can there be between light and darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Belial? What, what harmony can there be if we have Jesus in our hearts and, and we have the temple of the Holy Spirit inside of us? How can evil be in lockstep with the Jesus inside of our hearts? If we have halfway in, halfway out, we have friends that are halfway in and halfway out, it would be easy for us to falter. Why? Because we can impact close friends for the gospel, absolutely. But Proverbs also tells us that bad company corrupts good character. And when it comes to our actions, it may not be we're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus and all of a sudden we're, these, you know, we're, we're falling away from him. But sometimes it just takes baby steps and slippery slopes. And it's a slow fade from fully on fire to being burned and want to fall away from the Lord. And so if you're half in, half out, that'll, that may dictate. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Craig Rochelle says it that way. And then if you're all your friends, those around you, all of you that are around you that are most close to you don't know the Lord, well, then I need to read Psalm 1-1 to you. Blesses the one who does not walk in step with the wicked 
or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Verse two, but those who delight in the land of the Lord, or sorry, the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, those are the ones who are blessed. So we don't want to, we recognize that the prey is caught when we, when we choose to walk with those who don't walk with God. When we make that choice, we're, we're saying this is where we think our future is going to be. Don't cut people off and shame them, but seek out those who would lift you up and pray for and spend time with those who don't know the Lord, but don't let them be the ones that are guiding your paths and where you walk because the trap has set we rush, when we have people who feet rush into evil, who are swift to shed blood, we set foot on their paths. You know, we don't want to walk in that direction. We don't want to walk with those who don't walk with God. And then verse 17 talks about how, how useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. How useless it is for a trap if the trap is so obvious that the fowler, those who are trying to trap birds, see, set it up so obviously that the bird doesn't even go for it. I remember like cartoons back in the day when they would like dig a hole in like a, um, in like a, a jungle or something and they would try to like cover it with like branches so that people like run in, like fall in. And it's always like the most obvious thing, but it, it you know, works there. It's this idea of it's such an obvious trap, even birds know not to fall into it. So if we know the ways in which we are enticed, the desires we have, the pressures we experience, and if we know that trap that is laid out for us, if we have the wisdom to not walk with those that are walking us down the wrong path, we'll see the trap and we won't go in it. We won't play the risky game of mousetrap hoping that we, don't, that we can just escape the trap this time, but we'll try again the next time. Instead, we just walk the other direction. And then verse 18 through 19 show us this in your notes. The prey is caught when we fail to see that by aiming to harm others, we only harm ourselves. Verse 18, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. If you want to contrast the bookends of this, of this um, warning from uh, Solomon to his son or from parent to a child, is book 11, or sorry, chapter 11, sorry, verse 11 and verse 18. Because there's similar phrases that are used both times. Both use the example of being people who want to lie and wait for blood. Verse 11, it's to lie and wait for some innocent blood. And verse 18, it's that they lie and wait for their own blood. Verse 18, or sorry, verse 11 again talks about the idea of how they want to ambush somebody. But when we try to harm other people and ambush them, we're only ambushing ourselves. And that's what verse 18 talks about. They ambush only themselves. The difference is, is that we see the innocent blood in verse 11. Let's lie and wait for innocent blood. Do you know why that's not repeated in verse 18? Because they're not innocent. They're plotting to harm those around them. And so when they're lying in wait for their own blood, it's not innocent blood anymore. It's guilty blood. The blood is on their hands. And so they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. When we try to aim to harm other people, it only harms us. That we talk about how maybe at school, it's that you're trying to make yourself look better in front of your friend group. So you talk badly about friends, a friend around you in your group and say, well, you know, they really do this and they're not really that. Maybe in work, it's that you 
try to torpedo someone's integrity or work uh, ability so that you can get the promotion that they would be lined up for. Maybe it's the idea of you have marriages and your marriage is, is doing pretty well, but maybe there's another marriage and so you're talking badly about like husbands get together or wives get together and complain about their spouses to the point where then it's torpedoing that relationship. And then we talk about, oh, my spouse does this, my spouse does that. And then what happens? We start to see that. And instead of showing them love and grace and trying to be the right kind of spouse rather than waiting for your spouse to act right to how you see it, then we start to then not see it as, oh, how can I be better as a husband? Or how can I be better as a wife? It's, I knew you were always wrong. And because you're always wrong, I don't need to be the way that God's called me to be. See, the people that we could trust the least are the ones that often gossip the most. The people that we see that, that we try to harm people's integrity or tear people down, our integrity is being harmed. We're the ones that are going to say, well, I don't trust that person because all they ever talk about is how bad other people are. So then, what are they saying about me? See, when we try to aim to harm other people, whether physically or relationally or emotionally, we only harm ourselves. We try to line people up in our crosshairs, but what ends up happening is the target isn't the one in the crosshairs. The one that gets hurt is the one who's in the mirror. And it's the word of God who is our mirror that we look in and we read it and we don't just hear it, but we do it. And we say, God, where are the ways in which I'm falling short? Because once we get that plank out of our eye, then we can have the ability to help out the speck of other people. But if we try to tear other people down first, we're only going to harm ourselves. So we see the trap is set. We see the prey is caught. But listen, here's the good news. The trap can be avoided. We can see it. And like verse 17, if the birds can see the trap and avoid it, so can we who are smarter than birds. We can see and know our own struggles, know the way that the enemy likes to attack us. James 1 talks about how each of us are enticed by certain temptations, and then those temptations are conceived in, in, in desire. The desire is then given birth into sin, and then the sin leads us to death. But we are enticed by it. If we know what we are enticed by, we can avoid it. In the same way that if someone has, uh, is an alcoholic or, or trouble with narcotics, when they want to make their, their lives on the right on path, they have to get rid of certain friends who cause them to stumble. They know the trap. and They know they need to be avoiding it. If they know that when they're stressed out, they could call a sponsor to say, listen, I'm this close to drinking the bottle again, or I'm this close to buying, whatever it is. See, if we know the trap, we can avoid it. How do we know the trap for ourselves? We can avoid the trap by heeding wisdom, choosing friends wisely, and praying for freedom. See, this is kind of just a summary of what we've just read, that we can heed the wisdom of our parents or of our spiritual parents. Maybe your parents don't know the Lord, but there are mentors or spiritual fathers like Paul was to Timothy or spiritual mothers like we see Titus too, the older women pouring into the younger women, that we could heed wise direction and wise counsel and instruction. We can heed that wisdom. We can listen to it and do it. Listen and obey, not just let it go one ear and out the other. Two, we choose our friends wisely. We've hit on this a couple of different ways, but who are the people you surround yourself with? Who are the ones that lift you up in the relationship with God? When we pray for our girls, we pray for several things. One of them is that we pray that they have godly friends throughout their lives. 
Because when temptation comes, we all are tempted. Temptation of itself isn't a sin, right? Because Jesus was tempted. We all get tempted. But how we respond is whether we sin or not. And so when they're tempted, will they have friends that they stop maybe giving credence and credibility to what their parents say because they're trying to find their independence? But will they be surrounded by peers and friends who will continue them to walk in the ways of the Lord? Or will they set their feet on the path of the wicked and feet that rush into evil? We pray for those things and we should all be praying for our loved ones of those things as well. And then by our Proverbs 12 reiterates, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And then we pray for freedom. We pray for freedom. And I was wrestling with this word. Do I say we pray for strength, like the strength to resist? Do I say we pray for peace? Because I looked up pressure, the opposite of pressure, the antonym of pressure would be peace or ease. But I chose the word freedom because um, when I, we, we heard a little bit about what Connie had shared um, when she writ, wrote in this, uh, wrote in, not a word, when she wrote out this idea of why the song had an impact on her for the battle song that we sang earlier. And one of the parts that she talks about was like after she had sang, she said, when I stopped, I was winded, I was weeping, and I was with underline free. See, when in the midst of the battle, we can still lift up praise those things which we battle lose their power because we don't fix our eyes upon the problem or the pressure. We fix our eyes upon our Father and our Savior. We're able to fix our, or fix our eyes not on that which we are struggling with. Yes, we need to acknowledge that and rest in that and recognize that's true, that's valid. So I'm not saying minimalize pain, but I am saying maximize freedom and trust and faith in God. That when our trust is strong, our praises ring loudly. So we see here, there's a trap that is set, there's a prey that can be caught, but the trap can also be avoided. So I just wanna take a few moments. What pressures, you can write this down later and think about it, what pressures are you facing today? Are they internal pressures? The pressure to fit in? The pressure to, want to be liked, the pressure to want to achieve a lot, the pressure to be known as a certain thing, you know, the fastest, the smartest, the best, the richest, whatever it is. Is it an external pressure, the pressure to be sacrificing or plunder our integrity by getting more stuff? What pressures are you facing today? Second question is, what wisdom, whether it's Verses from the Bible, from the book of Proverbs that we're hopefully reading one, once a day just to kind of get the wisdom of God to start off our decade and our year. What verses might be verses that help us combat that? Maybe if you're someone who wants to cut corners to get money, you can write down Proverbs 119 that says, such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. We think it gives us life, but instead it only sucks the life away. You put that somewhere and it reminds you, I don't want to go after ill-gotten gain. I want to receive life and life to the full, not the ill-gotten gain life that is the life of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. Because when we aim to harm others, to steal, kill, and destroy others, we are the ones that goes from the crosshairs to the mirror. And then lastly, what friends, which friends can help you through this pressure? Who can you ask you for prayer? Who can you reach out to and say, God, just 
intercede with me or help me fast through this or I just need to know there's someone I can call when I'm struggling. Who, who can you know that surrounds you or who could surround you rather who knows Jesus and loves him and lives for him? And then, like we alluded to earlier, which friends do you need to take a step back from? Not because you don't care about them, not because they don't matter to you, but because staying with them would be keeping you along the path of the wicked. Do we still, again, we have relationship people who don't know Jesus, but they do not have to be our closest confidants, our most uh, trusted friends, and the ones who dictate the path of our lives. Who do you, what friendships do you need to lean into? And which friendships do you need to step back from? See, uh, a couple weeks ago now, uh, as we close, there was a college group event that we had uh, with college students who were um, visiting as well as college students who were staying here. And, and the same way that we're playing, I was playing mousetrap or wanted to play mousetrap earlier. And it's the idea of how do you get other people trapped and how do you make sure you avoid the trap? But it's like mousetrap. Instead, this was something where they were all in an escape room together. If you've never heard of an escape room, it's a room in which there are different puzzles and different things that need to be solved and clues and you need to bring it all up together and, and you have one hour to get out of this room. And they were serious about it too. They're like, you know, we're, we go in, we're filling out the forms and they're like, you know, just to reiterate, everyone should probably go to the bathroom first. Like we, we, can, we could get you out, obviously it's a safety thing, but you need to prepare, right? And so there were uh, eight college students that went in and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it or not. Thankfully, we had enough people that enough students wanted to come and so they had a great time and uh, they had one hour to get out of this room and they made it out in 55 minutes and 55 seconds. So with four minutes and five seconds left and they took a team picture that I think we have um, up here as well. And so they got fun things like, you know, my mom said I'm smart, which is Great, and um, you know, one like hashtag nailed it. One hour to complete this mission, please. All these different things, but this idea of just saying like, instead of playing a game that I wanted to play, where you try to trap other people and you hope to avoid the trap, they were able to play a game in which they were all recognized that they're they are in a trap and they could be caught and stuck in there, or they could work together to find out ways in which to escape and experience the freedom of getting out of a room. Yeah, but in general, in life, which game are you playing? Are you playing the game of mousetrap, trying to get other people trapped and hoping you avoid it? Or are you recognizing that there are things that we need to escape from? There are struggles and traps that have been set. There are pressures that we face and we can recognize that we could bring friends with us. We could choose them wisely. We can come together and decide that we want to get out and we can pray for freedom. We have not been born to stay in our shackles. In the same way that we were able to escape Egypt, or the people of God were able to escape Egypt and to be free, they preferred the shackles of their slavery because it was comfortable rather than the Lack of certainty that comes in the wilderness, in the desert, and in freedom. Freedom isn't easy, but freedom also isn't free because Jesus recognized the price that would need to be paid for us to escape out of our sin, to escape out of the wages of sin being death, to escape out of this life. And we recognize that we have traps, we have struggles, we know we could still fall short, but will we surround ourselves with people who will help us out of that journey, to escape out of that, and they've experienced the freedom that God has for us, or will we be stuck in the rat race? Will we be stuck playing mouse trap? Because for each and every one of us, we all face pressure. And if we don't 
learn how to pray through the harmful pressures, we will become prey to those harmful pressures. Father, we thank you that you are here in this place, Lord. I thank you for each person that um, has come today, and I pray, God, that you are the one that is speaking. You are the one that is moving. You are the one that is working, and that each person that is hearing my voice knows that you, um, that you love them, that you formed them, and then it's for freedom's sake that we have been set free, that Jesus came to set the captives free, and that we are no longer bound by our chains, God, by those things that entice us and desire to trap us. Lord, no, we are set free and we can see those traps and we can go the other direction, walking not with the wicked, but with those who love you and who are following you wholeheartedly. And that we wouldn't be the prey that is caught and have the mousetrap fall upon us, but instead we will be able to escape and experience freedom in community with others who know you and love you so that we can live a life that is a light and an example to those who don't know you, that people will see the difference that a life with you means and that they would want that in their own lives as well, so that your name would be praised, that you would be glorified and your kingdom would grow and that you would use us as the honor of being part of that growth. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.